Have you ever wondered what happened to the legendary Chuck Norris? I recently saw a health video he made and I was surprised. He's in his 80s and still seems to have his energy and health. He says he's even stronger, has more stamina, and plenty of energy left over for his grandkids since making one simple health change that helps his digestion and nutrition. He says he still feels like he's in his 50s. His wife made the same change and she's never felt better. She says she feels 10 years younger and she has energy all day. Many of us do not include the fruits, vegetables, and other herbs that increase health and energy in our own diets. Chuck Norris made a special video that explains how he incorporated these things with one simple product. You can watch it by going to mymorningkick.com forward slash Harris. It may change your approach to your own health. Once again, that's mymorningkick.com forward slash Harris. We are live for the Conversations That Matter podcast. I don't think this is going to be a long podcast. We'll see. I just want to update everyone on the Southern Baptist Convention and what's happening in the Southern Baptist Convention right now. Paige Patterson's in the news. And I saved the stuff on Johnny Hunt uh, because when that started making the news a few weeks ago, uh, I wanted to wait for some more development and accumulation of more uh items like what's happening with Paige Patterson. And so uh, we're going to get into that a little bit. Karen Swallow Pryor out at SEBTS. Some of this, if you're paying close attention to the SBC, you'll think is old news and some of it indeed is. Uh, But uh, I don't tend to uh, make a podcast about every little thing that happens in the SBC. Rather, I I tend to look at uh, general trends and give you kind of a, a holistic, as much as I can, comprehensive view of what's actually happening. And uh, so I know there's a lot of other things people want me to talk about right now. And uh, I, I, I'm hoping I can get to a number of those things later on in the week. But I thought, you know, I've waited long enough with this. Let's talk about what's happening in the SBC. So big picture here is the Me Too agenda has, I think, more than any other influence from the political left been a detriment to the Southern Baptist Convention. I'm saying even more than critical race theory in in some ways, because this is what inspired the waiving of attorney-client privilege. This is what's causing all the, the lawsuits. And, and ultimately, it's a financial drain. That's the problem. It's a financial, that's not the only problem, but that's that's the thing that actually I think will end up killing the SBC. And that that comes after the moral issues, right? It's it's just subsequent. You can predict it. Once there's moral issues and corruption and the vultures are circling, you you know that the next thing that's going to happen is everyone's going to want a piece of the pie. And I think that's partially what's happening right now. Um, we'll see how far we get into this, because I, I do have some things I want to say about behind the scenes things that I don't think are being discussed much. But I, I, I I'm hesitant I, here's what one of the things on this podcast you can anticipate from me. I don't want to go farther than publicly available evidence. I just don't want to do it. And I can tell you that behind the scenes, what I'm picking up is this, that that's exactly the description that fits vulture circling, looking for their piece of the pie, financial incentives down to even what firm uh, was hired, who's running that firm guidepost. Uh, all of that. And 
a lot of this is very hard information to actually get to publicly uh, people to publicly put out there because everyone's afraid. And um, so I, I will just appeal to a Christian understanding of human nature and common sense here uh, for you to read between the lines and figure out what you think is actually going on here. Because I think it's actually not all that complicated. I, I, the Me Too agenda is is a mechanism. It's a tool. There are some diehard believers, but I think that the diehard believers might not even be running the show. This may actually just be a way to gain power and to um, reward people financially. So that's that's my cynical take, perhaps, on all of this. But we'll get into specifics uh, as the podcast unfolds. Before we do, though, I want to bring to your attention a sponsor for this particular uh, podcast. And let's see if I can pull it up here. So this is Covenant Academy Online. Covenant Academy Online. This is a new sponsor for the Conversations That Matter podcast. Uh, you can go to covenantacademyonline.com if you want to find out more information. But let me tell you about this because I don't just advertise anyone. I advertise things that I think are going to help you in the audience. And I know there's a number of people who homeschool. There's also, I'm sure, a number who have their kids in Christian school or maybe are part of a, a smaller Christian school who could use this service. Co Covenant Academy Online offers, and, and this is for free, this is it's on a donation basis. So you can take advantage of these courses and you don't have to actually technically pay anything. There's no tuition. Um, obviously, highly suggested you make a donation because the worker is worthy of their wages. But this is um, a service that's created by people who really want to help homeschoolers and especially people, uh, well, in, in small private schools. And there's less and less of them, it seems like today. But part of the reason for that is it's hard to pay the teachers what they need to survive. Uh, the overhead is very expensive. And this is one of the things Covenant Academy Online helps with. So if you go to their website, this is the, uh, for those who are watching, this is what you're going to see. And you can go to uh, get a login and, and this will show you their catalog. So uh, you can look at the classes that are offered by grade level, by discipline, um, elective. So if you go by grade level, let's say you have a, a sixth grader and you want to teach that sixth grader some math. So you can click on that and it'll come right up with the grade six math and it, and it tells you what it's going to cover. And, uh, and the way this works is it's live online classes that meet twice a week for 50 minutes each meeting. Classes are for fourth through 12th grade. Uh, grading of assignments uh, is facilitated through this. There's access to an instructor via email if you have questions. Uh, so this is a great tool. And I know for my parents, they didn't have things like this when I was growing up. But uh, when I got into upper level math, I never actually got into upper, upper level. But when I got into science and math, especially in high school, that became more challenging, not because they didn't know the subjects, but because they're having to reach back into the recesses of their mind to uh, remember what they learned about it in order to help me understand that. And I think this is a good option uh, to assist in a financially helpful way those who have those challenges. So um, check it out, Covenant Academy online. And uh, 
and, and let them know that you heard about it on the Conversations That Matter podcast. Okay, well, I want to start with the news of the day as uh, people are coming into the live stream right now. The news of the day, of course, is concerning Paige Patterson. And this is what it says. It says, federal, this is on the Christian Post, federal judge dismisses major abuse lawsuit against Southern Baptist convention leader. A federal judge, I'm just reading it, in Texas dealt a major setback to a high-profile abuse-related lawsuit, dismissing claims against a former Southern Baptist Convention leader and a seminary affiliated with the denomination. U.S. District Judge Sean Jordan issued a ruling on March 25th stating that the unnamed plaintiff, referred to as Jane Doe, did not meet the standard of proof required to demonstrate that Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Fort Worth, Texas, and its former president, Paige Patterson, were negligent in preventing sexual abuse on campus. The ruling came after a recently filed memorandum was considered by the court. Roe had filed a lawsuit in June 2019 against the seminary and Patterson after being allegedly sexually assaulted multiple times by another former seminary student, referred to as John Doe. Roe accused Patterson and the seminary of mistreating her when she reported being stalked and repeatedly raped by the male student. So these are the accusations. It gets thrown out of court, though. It's not even something that um, Paige Patterson doesn't need to go to court and defend himself. This is something that uh, didn't even meet the standard uh, requirements. So this, and this is a federal judge that dismissed this. So uh, this could have been a major thing and could have been the focus leading up to the Southern Baptist Convention annual meeting this year. And it won't be uh, likely because of uh, of the fact that it has been dismissed. So this is just one example of um, the Me Too movement pushing so far that they are often supporting the people who are activists in this, those who are not reliably honest or those who uh, just have a, a good story, it might be sensational, it might even come across as believable, but the evidence isn't there, the corroboration isn't there. And they're going, it's, uh, it's it reminds me of something I was listening to A.D. Robles talk about this morning when he was uh, talking about uh, feeling your way through things versus thinking your way through things. And the Me Too movement is very, very much based upon feeling your way through things. And you hear a story like that and you think, oh my goodness, why didn't anyone do anything? This is horrible. Uh, we're predisposed because it's good manners to believe someone when they say something. And I think in often, uh, in many cases, it's it's not wrong to take someone at their word. If you don't know them though, you, you can't put your name behind that if you are forced to. You can't uh, guarantee that their word is correct. Uh, the scripture gives us guidelines for this. Uh, we have a uh, test of corroboration, and if that corroboration isn't present, then we have no reason to justify a belief in that particular story, whether true or not. I was reading, because uh, I'm writing a book now on, well, it it's kind of developing into the subject. That's how I write. I tend to, to take what's on my mind, I start writing, and then eventually a book forms. It's kind of uh, opposite of what I know a lot of other authors do. Uh, and I'll go a little bit here, a little bit there, work on this chapter. I'll work on chapter seven and then go back to chapter three. But but I'm, I'm working on what I thought would be the introduction. Now I'm wondering if it's going to be. And my basic point is that conservatives, political conservatives, and Christians 
have given up arguing on the basis of principle and definition. And instead, they're arguing in pragmatic ways. Uh, they are, they'll appeal to things like safety, perhaps, or to what's good for the market, uh, perhaps. But they don't tend to want to do something that actually the left tends to do, which is argue from definition. And the left will do this in an obnoxious way. They'll just shout their definition. But anyway, so I'm, I'm writing this chapter um, on this particular uh, topic, and it forced me to, to read a number of documents in the English common law tradition. So from the uh, Doom Book to the Magna Carta to uh, obviously the Declaration of Independence is in this vein and tradition. But um, but I, I was looking at the uh, commentaries from Blackstone on the laws of England. And one of the things Blackstone says, which is interesting, it's so opposite of what we think of today. Uh, and, and I'm summarizing here, but he said essentially that it is better that 10 guilty men go free than one innocent man is punished. It's better for 10 guilty men to go free than one innocent man to be punished. And I think the Me Too movement runs on an opposite rail. The whole premise is it would be horrible for someone to get away. Let's broaden that net as much as possible, accuse as many people and believe as many accusations as possible so that we can bring to justice abusers. It, so it's not innocent until proven guilty. It is guilty until proven innocent. Effectively, that's what ends up happening. Um, and it, it's so opposite of the tradition that we've inherited. So that was interesting uh, to read Blackstone. And it just kind of jolted me because I thought, wow, you'd never hear anyone say this today. But Anyway, so that's the news today. Uh, this is actually April 3rd is when it was posted, but it's still being discussed that Paige Patterson in this particular case, at least, was somewhat vindicated. And, um, and the, you know, the, a lot of the accusations, there's multiple accusations against Paige Patterson. Most of them go back decades with fuzzy details, very difficult to ascertain what actually happened. Uh, some of them beyond the statute of limitations. And so this man has lost his entire reputation. Uh, and it, it just seems unfair in this sense that the it's unjust weights and measures with uh, accusations coming against him from, let's just say, sources that aren't necessarily 100% reliable. Uh, they're taken into account. They're considered authentic. When you have Lifeway still selling things related to Martin Luther King Jr., for example, and these have been corroborated. There is proof that he was abusive. And uh, and certainly, if he was around today, there would be, I'm sure, Me Too accusations uh, against him. And not just Me Too, you know, not in the sense of unsubstantiated uh, accusations, but actually, you know, real accusations, I'm sure. But yet, he's lionized. And it just seems unfair. You know, Paige Patterson uh, has lost his reputation. He's lost... Uh, at Southeastern where I went, I remember there was a building named after him. Not so anymore. He's lost his legacy pretty much. Uh, not, not that you can ever quite take away someone's legacy because that's something that is not up for a majority vote, but it is something that is recognized by people. And it, it will, I think, determine to some extent where the Southern Baptist Convention is going to go, whether or not they hold some kind of a respect for those who saved the denomination decades ago from the clutches of liberalism. That's not valued anymore. That's, um, 
that's overturned. The benefit of the doubt isn't given to someone uh, because they were involved in something like that. Whereas before, I think it would be. There would be a level of respect Page would have had. And that this is just indicative of where the SBC is going. So uh, there, there's some uh, an update about Paige Patterson. I wanted to just read for you a, a few brief things, too. We're going to talk about Bruce Ashford a little bit next, but indirectly, indirectly. Uh, it's really SEBTS, I suppose, we're talking about, the Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, where I went, uh, where I have my EBNDIV from. And Jennifer Buck uh, posted this. This is uh, the wife of Tom Buck, who is a fairly prominent Southern Baptist pastor on the more conservative end of things. And she said, one year ago, I discovered someone had given my rough draft to a news outlet to smear uh, my husband. I was horrified because it contained information about my childhood sexual abuse that I had never publicly revealed. I'd only given my story to Karen Swallow Pryor to give me feedback. I later discovered that Karen Swallow Pryor and Keith Whitfield, who is the current provost, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, uh, knew my rough draft had been sent to news outlets and they kept it hidden from me. One year ago today, I was told someone went to Karen Swallow Pryor on behalf of a third party to ask her to authenticate my rough draft so it could be published without my permission. I wanted to know who came to her and how they knew she got authenticated. I decided to call her to ask. And so she she goes through the story. I'm not going to read all of it. There's a few more tweets to this, but she talks about the fact that Karen Swallow Pryor, who was, and that's past tense now, a professor. Now, I guess she still is until the end of the semester, a professor at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, was involved uh, and and Keith Whitfield, I guess, to some extent, was involved in exposing, according to Jennifer Buck, she doesn't, it seems like there's not really much of another option here. At least they, they didn't even give her the decency to let her know they knew that this was being exposed. So they, at the very least, you could say this, they, um, they allowed uh, an exposing of abuse that was not authenticated, approved of by the person who uh, experienced that abuse, which you'd think this would be enough to cancel someone, right? If this Paige Patterson did this, he used to be the provost or the uh, president rather of Southeastern. You think if he did it, that would be one of the things used against him. Apparently not though, when it is Karen Swallow Pryor. And so uh, she points out some of the hypocrisy here and, uh, so anyway, uh, we're going to go on to uh, some comments and then I'm going to return to this just because some comments are starting uh, to come in right now. Um, someone says, I read the 92 page summary. This is, I guess, about Paige Patterson. And it was very revealing, especially the fact that Jane Rowe begged Patterson not to call police. He called the police within a matter of minutes. You know, it's interesting to me. Th thank you for doing that. Thank you for reading all. I did not read the 92 pages. Uh, of this. Uh, so uh, what uh, Geoff uh, Prose, I hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly, uh, is saying is that the normal way to approach these things was to call the police when there was a situation of abuse. And Paige Patterson apparently followed that according to uh, this summary. Okay. Uh, what was the Blackstone quote from someone asks? Uh, that was, I believe, from, and uh, it's a few volumes his commentaries on the laws of England. Uh, so I don't remember what volume it was in. Um, 
I was reading, I believe, from the first volume, but I'm not sure if that quote specifically came from the first volume because I was jumping around on some, I was looking for some specific quotes from him. That actually wasn't one of them. I just happened to cross it. So you, you'd have to uh, maybe do like a, a Google book search or something and you could probably come up with it. Uh, did you see Tom Buck's exchange with Bart Barber? I don't know which one. <laughs> I don't know if I saw that. There's, uh, I, I'm not, so I'm in the Twitter world sort of, cause I'm, I don't have a Twitter account. It's like, I don't use a Twitter account. I should say, um, I, I am able to get on Twitter to see what people are saying. So I have an account for that, but, uh, I, I don't see everything that goes on there. So, uh, if someone wants to link me to it, uh, during the podcast, I'll certainly consider it. All right. So returning back to the podcast here and what we were discussing, Jennifer Buck, uh, showing the hypocrisy here. And then you have, now this is before uh, Jennifer Buck posted this, but uh, and it's interesting though, because it's also the sequencing here. This is, a, I think, the end of the week or, or a week after the Bruce Ashford stuff was exposed. For those who don't remember, Bruce Ashford was a former provost at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. And uh, he, there was a textbook Me Too moment against him while he was still provost by his own wife. And this was public, it was online, and it didn't show up in the guidepost report. Well, what do you know? Uh, and then subsequently to that, about, I don't know if it was four or five, I think four months ago or so, there was an incident where Bruce Ashford was driving for uh, a, uh, a Lyft, I believe is the company that he was driving for. It, I guess that shows you what happens after being a professor. I don't know, he's driving for Lyft. And, and no shame in that, by the way. I mean, uh, I've, I've even considered you know, that would be a great gig, but um, not not what you would consider or think of a, a provost, a former provost is doing. But he's he's driving for Lyft, and it's not even far from the seminary. And uh, his uh, the person who he, he was driving was a younger black female. That doesn't that's not significant except for the fact that there's an obsession with intersectionality, and uh, and that plays into this. She ended up. Uh, exiting the car while it was moving. She'd opened the door and either fell out or threw herself out because, uh, according to her, she believed that Ashford was being flirtatious with her and uh, possibly spraying a substance that was going to drug her. So this is kind of extreme, uh, but there's not even a comment from anyone at Southeastern. And it's not even a week later that you have Karen Swallow Pryor, after that story breaks, saying this. While I and, and I'm not saying they're related, I don't know. I'm saying it's possible. But she says this: while I adore my students and colleagues at the Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary, it has become clearer through heartfelt discussions with leadership and much self-reflection over the past few years that the institution and I do not share the same vision for carrying out the Great Commission. It has also become clear to me that I am simply not well suited to politics of institutional life in the Southern Baptist Convention. Therefore, I have made the difficult decision not to return to SCBTS in the fall. I don't know what the Lord has next for me, but I'm excited to see how he directs my steps. So people have speculated about this, and I would I, I don't want to speculate about this. Perhaps I already have a little bit by just sharing that the, the sequence with you. Uh, I don't know if that plays into it or to what extent it plays into it, the Bruce Ashford stuff. I don't know if it plays into it or to what extent it plays into it, the Jennifer Buck stuff. Uh, I would assume that it has some of that has something to do with it just because of the reference here to politics. But I noticed a lot of people on the more conservative side were using this. They were saying she's to the left of Southeastern. 
Um, others were saying this is great because Southeastern is going to return to conservatism or there, there was implying that. And I'm like, no, that's <laughs> there's like and, and I, you know what I mean by conservatism, I suppose, or what they mean is it, it's not going to be woke anymore. It's not going to be on the social justice train as much. But that predated Karen Swallow Pryor. And I don't I don't I have my suspicions that that's not the case. It's not that she's to the left of them. I don't I really don't think that's what it is. They they were able to defend her to not just tolerate her, but actually celebrate and defend her. And this despite uh, accusations against her coming from even people as prominent as Tom Askell in the convention, that she supported reboice theology. That didn't seem to really do anything. Danny Aiken even came out and defended her personally. And so I doubt that that was the issue. And remember, she was at Liberty University during Jerry Falwell Jr.'s time there. She was there for uh, years. That was the, I think she taught there longer than anywhere else. And, and what place is known more for political conservatism than Liberty University, I, especially during the time that she was there? So I don't buy the fact or the idea that she's doing this because she's to the left of them. Now, that's possible, but I, I just don't think that's the case. But uh, she was a, a big supporter of, I would say, the Me Too agenda in the Southern Baptist Convention. And this is, uh, well... This maybe this is a positive development in a very small way. I, I don't think it's as significant as maybe some others have have thought. The the only other working theory that I've heard that seems to make some sense of some of this mm. is that uh, Southeastern also from I think it's twenty in twenty twenty one if I'm not mistaken no twenty twenty two I believe or the the last statistics on this uh, they were falling precipitously as far as their student enrollment. They decreased, I believe it was 40% in the in the course of like two years. And a lot of the schools are facing that. Uh, ironically, not Midwestern. Uh, Midwestern Baptist stayed the same. Uh, I think they might have even grown a little, but the other ones are falling, and Southeastern in particular. Southwestern, I think even more so, were falling in their student enrollment. And so maybe it's a sinking ship, and you know, people have thought, well, maybe she's trying to get off the sinking ship. I think that's actually more likely, but but I don't know. Um, but that that is another development in the Southern Baptist Convention. Now, here's, here's one of the worst takes on this, but it's it's this is almost like a, a comedy, a source of comedy here. Dwight McKissick, who's a prominent uh, Southern Baptist pastor who's more on the left, says the SBC may be facing her Rosa Parks moment. Most popular SEBTS professor, SWBTS Hebrew and church history profs, Local church Saddleback and Baptist Press author Beth Moore have all faced and been made to feel unwelcome in the SBC culture that makes it clear women are to stay in their place. At the back of the bus, in the rear of ministry, even when embracing the Baptist faith and message and lovingly and willingly serving under the authority of men, once your popularity begins to be on par. So, so he's making this out that Karen Swallow Pryor was kicked out, that she was forced to leave. They couldn't tolerate a woman being there, which is ridiculous because they've had other women professors there. They still do. It's not that they are against that. Now, she it's possible maybe, you know, maybe she pushed the envelope or something. But we're into speculation land at that point. And it's just not helpful. But I just thought this was it's funny to compare. Everything's epic. Everything's at like level 10. It's a Rosa Parks moment right now. That That's what's going on. It's that monumental that Karen Solid Pryor's leaving Southeastern, which she, and she wasn't even there that long. Um yeah, I don't think so. I don't think that's what's going on. All right, let's turn our attention uh, now to Johnny Hunt. I'll look at the um, comments, though, and just see if anyone has any questions or uh, before we move to that. 
Uh, no one shared, uh, Russ, I don't know if you're still listening. Uh, no one shared the link to the Tom Buck exchange though. But so if you have that, feel free to put it uh, there and I'll take a look at it. Um, let's talk about this. Let's talk about uh, this document. This is, I'm going to read part of this for you from Johnny Hunt. Uh, and this is a, a court uh, file. It's a complaint filing. Johnny Hunt is the plaintiff versus the Southern Baptist Convention. Guideposts, Solutions, LLC, and the Executive Committee of the Southern Baptist Convention. The plaintiff is Dr. Johnny Hunt, or as his congregation affectionately called him, Pastor Johnny. Pastor Johnny is a dedicated servant who has worked his entire adult life to help other people. He has been extraordinarily successful, eventually becoming the first elected Native American to hold office of the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. Now, I think it's, it's funny he, they use this. Because you, you, th you think, why is he playing the race card here? Well, there's part of me that says, would you blame him in his position? I mean, he's been railroaded. And now they're, they're saying that, um, and I'm not saying he's above board in everything he, he did here. But he's been, let's just say, targeted when other people like Bruce Ashford just get a free pass. When, um, you know people like him, David Sills, Paige Patterson get a free pass. JD Greer gets a uh, sorry, they don't get a free pass. JD Greer gets a free pass uh, with the situations in his church. Um, Matt Chandler gets a gets somewhat of a pass. There's it's obvious who the favored people are and who the people who aren't favored are. And Donnie Hunt's not favored in this. So so he plays the intersectional card kind of himself. Like that's significant, I guess, that he's Native American. So it's like, what do they do with that, right? Uh, and I don't think they care, to be honest. I don't think the other side gives a hoot about who Johnny Hunt is. He's in the position of having power in their minds as a pastor uh, and as a, uh, they probably would consider him somewhat of a white man since he's, I think, par partially white, but he's a male. That's the point. It was a male against female and it's his, his race ain't going to save him on this. But anyways, it's worth a try, I suppose. <laughs> so it says, but Pastor Johnny, has also been uh, made mistakes in his life, in particular in 2010. So the complaint starts off with this admission, which I actually find somewhat believable here. Like this, to me, when I when I see this from people, they're, they're not denying, they admit, this is what I did that was wrong. I have a respect for that, I'll be honest with you, because it's becoming more rare. So many people either want to defend everything they do as they never do anything wrong, or uh, they... Um, they cower and they just kind of let, let the left accuse them of everything and apologize, 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 thinking it'll make it stop sometimes. And it doesn't. So Johnny Hunt, it does neither. He's taken the battle to them, but he's admitting some pretty serious mistakes here. Uh, and, and I would call them sin, <laughs> sin. Pastor Johnny Hunt has made mistakes in his life. In particular, in 2010, after his term as SBC president had ended, Pastor Johnny Hunt had a brief inappropriate extramarital encounter with a married woman. Some of the precise details are disputed, but at most, the encounter lasted only a few minutes and it involved only kissing and some awkward fondling. It is undisputed that Pastor Johnny abruptly ended the encounter. Both Pastor Johnny and the woman disclosed the encounter to their spouses and they jointly sought counseling and forgiveness. This was a private failing by Pastor Johnny and the woman involved, and the story should have ended there, but it didn't. Instead, in May 2022, more than a decade after Pastor Johnny's service as the SBC president had ended, the SBC was facing a public relations nightmare, like the Catholic Church before it. 
The SBC was facing allegations that it had improperly ignored reports of child molestation, rape, and other sex crimes in SBC-affiliated churches. As an example, in 2019, the Houston Chronicle published a six-part series of articles on the SBC entitled Abuse of Faith. Now, this is the, um, the I remember this. This was the, the first shot, uh, the, 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 really the first time I saw this narrative being promoted heavily. Uh, I remember Al Mohler at that time. Uh, he had previously defended, uh, oh, what's his name now? I can't remember his name. The so- Sovereign Grace guy, C.J. Mahaney. He defended C.J. Mahaney, signed a joint letter. I think Danny Aiken signed it. A bunch of people signed it in the Southern Baptist Convention. And then it was in 2019. It was right around the time this happened. He throws Johnny Hunt overboard. Or not Johnny Hunt, sorry. He throws uh, C.J. Mahaney overboard. And that's that's like a molar thing though like watching molar can tell tells you kind of what direction things are going in because he he tends to try to get out in front of it to be to to shield himself and to or promote himself it seems to me that's that's from watching him for years that's what it, it seems like but uh but i, I remember that so th- this happened uh in 2019 and um it, it included uh mug shots for 218 people who were said to have worked or volunteered in Southern Baptist churches and were convicted or pleaded guilty of sex uh, crimes. Pastor Johnny had nothing to do with these awful allegations. Nonetheless, the SBC, its leadership, and the firm hired for damage control defendant Guidepost Solutions, LLC, and they decided to use Pastor Johnny as their scapegoat. So the language in here is aggressive. On May 22nd, Guidepost, the SBC, and its leadership publicly released a report that purported to focus on whether the SBC's executive leadership had inappropriately responded to allegations of child and other sexual abuse. But the first name mentioned in the report was Pastor Johnny, not because he was accused of ignoring reports of child or other abuse and not because he was accused of some similarly heinous crime. So remember the standard here, and then they're setting this up is it's, it's crimes, it's uh, molestations, it's, uh, uh, sexual abuse, according to a legal definition of that, it's uh, stuff that would should get you arrested. That's the kind of stuff there. That's in the context. But Pastor Johnny Hunt's actions does don't, don't fit into that context. So how did they make it fit, and why did they try to use Pastor Johnny Hunt instead? Pastor Johnny was named because the woman with whom he had the brief extramarital encounter in 2010 has d- had disclosed that encounters to the guidepost investigators. The encounter involving Pastor Johnny had nothing to do with the type of reports that led to guidepost engagement. Defendants' decision to feature the allegation against Pastor Johnny in their public report was a strategic decision to deflect attention from the SBC's historical failure to take aggressive steps to respond to reports of child sex abuse and other sex crimes in the past. By focusing on the allegations against Pastor Johnny, an allegation by an adult woman that involved non-criminal conduct And by then taking aggressive actions against Pastor Johnny, the defendants sought to create the appearance that the SBC had learned from its previous mistakes and is now working to protect victims of sex crimes. Uh, Not too much longer. I'm just going to read a little more. By publishing the allegation against Pastor Johnny in a report purporting to focus on child molesters and other abusers, defendants intentionally and maliciously created the false impression that Pastor Johnny is a sex criminal. Uh, as recently as December 5th, the SBC's president, that would be Bart Barber, reinforced this false impression by publishing a tweet in which he falsely asserted that the allegations of pa- against Pastor Johnny would con- constitute a felony in any jurisdiction in the U.S. This is where P- Bart Barber is getting himself in a whole heap of trouble 
by making outlandish claims like that. Uh, they're they're pushing the needle farther than they can, I think, strategically or uh, allow it to go. It's just it, it, they're going to get in trouble, and that's exactly what's happening here. Uh, one of the things I wanted to highlight in this was this. Um, let me just read this to you. It says the statement that the accusers allegations were corroborated in part by four witnesses was also false and misleading. So they're just to bring you up to speed. What this is talking about is in the guidepost uh, report that this was supposedly corroborated. They're saying the story of this story of Johnny Hunt abusing a, a woman, which according to this document, it sounds more like it's a, it would be in the category of, leading towards an affair. So there would be consent on both sides of this. Um, but because he's, according to the Me Too movement, he is in a position of power and authority, it, it uh, having an adulterous affair is less and less likely to be a charge that sticks because it would involve the female. And all blame is to be placed on the male. And so uh, because they have the power, so so that's I think what's happening uh, here, and this is and this is what they're um, anyway. Th this is what they're focusing on. They're saying there there wasn't corroboration by four witnesses. Um, the report does not contain a single account by any alleged witness that would support a claim for sexual assault. Only one of the alleged corroborators, the counselor, talked to the accuser directly, and he stated that the contact was limited to kissing and touching over her clothing. He also said that he understood the encounter to have been consensual. Far from corroborating the accuser's account, the counselor directly contradicted her key allegations. The other three witnesses are similarly unsupportive. All of them talked only to the accuser's husband and were therefore themselves relying on hearsay for their own hearsay accounts. Moreover, none of them said that the encounter was consensual. All right, let me, let me just put this uh, in a different way. If I was still in my grad school history program. And I said, I have four sources and they all say the same thing. They, they, they establish the fact that Johnny Hunt did A, B, and C. And then my professor were to examine those sources and he found that actually only one of them was a primary source and three of them were secondary sources. I would be graded down significantly because I am treating secondary sources as primary sources. That's what's happening here. They're, and it's as sloppy as, as you can get in my mind. And I remember reading this in the guidepost report and just thinking, like, where's, where's the, all the corroboration? The corroboration is people who are relying on the testimony of one person. So this is not actual corroboration. And if that's the new standard for corroboration, then we're sunk. I mean, it's just, it's bad. So this is the complaint that, uh, for those who don't know, th this happened a few weeks ago, that Pastor Johnny Hunt uh, is uh, was involved in. So um, someone put the link for the Tom Buck thing. So I'm gonna see if I see if I can pull that up real quick and just uh, look at that. See if that's something we need to go back to. This is from April 5th, so it's from today. Okay, we're gonna go back to that at the end of this particular podcast, I think. Someone remind me in case I forget, but we're going to continue on with the Johnny Hunt stuff for now. So this is, uh, let's see, let's start here. This is a flashback to the Houston Chronicle. This is from, uh, let's see, June 13th, 2022. So back that far. And 
Here is what uh, it has to say. It says, suddenly it all clicked. And this is, to put it in context, this is the uh, testimony of uh, the accusers of Johnny Hunt, okay? The husband uh, of the wife that Johnny Hunt had a brief, um, uh, I don't even want to say affair because I don't know that it was an affair, but a a brief uh, inappropriate relationship with. All right, so he says, suddenly it all clicked. Through counseling with experts, including with the firm of renowned religious trauma scholar, Diane Langberg, the couple said they came to understand what they could not quite articulate for a decade. So 10 years have passed. They couldn't articulate what happened. They didn't have language. They didn't have a category. They didn't know what had happened. They, uh, I mean, I can give you some language. You were going towards adultery. You're going towards an affair. I mean, that, that would be language, I think, that would be consistent. Uh, you were... <laughs> Involved in sin. Uh, someone was sinning against you. Um, it was, if left unchecked, it would have been, according to the Old Testament, a capital offense. And it, it says they decided to talk to God. So it's, it's serious. I'm trying to let you know it is serious. But what category does it belong in? Diane Langberg, according to her, she's a trauma scholar here, her firm at least, Uh, She changed their whole perspective. They decided to talk to Guidepost, hoping that their story would help illustrate how power dynamics, combined with a lack of trauma-informed counseling, can be weaponized against the vulnerable. In the weeks after the Guidepost report, two SBC seminaries and the North American Mission Board have said they are reviewing their abuse policies and institutional ties to Hunt. So was it abuse? It wasn't really abuse until, guess what? The... um, firm of renowned religious trauma scholar Diane Langberg got involved and showed them what they couldn't see before, that this was abuse. Uh, This is what uh, Bart Barber, the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, had put on Twitter. Hunt was subject of a third-party investigation in response to allegations that he sexually assaulted a woman half his age in ways that would, to my knowledge, constitute a felony in any jurisdiction in the United States. That's the president of the denomination. That's really shooting in the dark. That's super bold. But Bart Barber isn't backing down from this. If you remember, Bart Barber's the one who in 2019 helped draft a Texas law uh, that would help protect churches against sexual abuse predators. Now, uh, I've talked about this before on the podcast, but it it bears some, I think, repeating. Um, If I could get into the section here where it talks about the uh, actual language. Uh, okay. So it's, it's no one size fits all approach. Uh, let me see, hold on. Let me jump forward here. Um, Bart Barber said about this bill, it's not going to be hard for you to find people associated with nonprofits who have had this threat made against them at some point or another. I'm going to sue you for defamation. I'm going to sue you for uh, tortuous, um, interference with contract. Uh, anybody who has been on the receiving end of that with regard to allegations of abuse will be motivated to help you get your bill all the way through the passage of the law. Uh, that wasn't, I should have had it highlighted, I think, where I wanted to read from. Uh, the, it's in the beginning. The legislation written by Texas pastor and current SBC president, Bart Barber, protects charitable organizations, their volunteers, and independent contractors from liability. Here it is. When disclosing credible allegations to prospective employers. All right. The, Here's, here's what's important about this. Credible. What's a credible accusation? 
What does it mean that something's credible? Uh, if they disclose, so you have a church that discloses, hey, this guy, uh, no good. <laughs> I have a credible accusation uh, against this person. Don't hire them at your church, right? Blacklist this person. Police don't have to be involved at all, right? And this person says, hey, hold, hold on, you're, you're, ruining, you're falsely accusing me. You're ruining my livelihood. I'm going to sue you. This is the kind of law that would protect the church from that kind of a lawsuit. I, I'd say this is not a good model at all, uh, but this is Bart Barber. And um, Bart Barber doubles down on this. Uh, SBC President Barber would permanently defrock Johnny Hunt if he had the authority. Isn't that interesting? Bart Barber would permanently defrock Johnny Hunt if he had the authority. I'm not even going to read this article, but but that's he, this is going to come back to bite him in the worst way to, to do this. And and it's it's not only him; it's his it's his convention. Is there any thought of them? and the liability that they're incurring because of these kinds of lawsuits. Now, if you want to look at some of the hardcore activists, Jacob Denhollander, husband of Rachel Denhollander, uh, you know, is probably a prime example of that. He says, Johnny Hunt was outed, as a, this was in 2022, as a sexual abuser seven months ago. So calling him a sexual abuser, he claims it was only adultery after promising to be disciplined in his church. He left, was rehabilitated instead by some buddies. These fine gentlemen decided to poke every abuse survivor in the eye by inviting him so uh that is that is how the me too movement folks aren't going to back down i'll put it that way they are just not going to back down they are going to go full steam ahead and it's going to run the entire convention into a heap of ruin uh, it is going to drain financial resources it is going to be embarrassing it already is and uh th this is just this is just the, uh, I, I think the last gasping breaths, to be quite honest with you. This is, I don't even think it's the beginning of the end. I think we're, we're past the beginning. We're in the end. All right. So here's the thread that, uh, one of the listeners referenced. I hadn't seen this, but we'll just look it over. This is from Tom Buck. He says, um, now he's posting here from Bart Barber, a tweet from Bart Barber and Bart Barber says the standard for a credible accusation was adopted at last year's annual meeting. It's available for anyone to read. Dr. Patterson was never even accused of abusing anyone sexually, mu much less credibly accused. Don't believe Tom Buck. So there's, I guess this is going back and forth, uh, who's a master of reckless accusations. And Tom Buck had said, uh, those currently in charge of sex abuse reforms in the SBC believe Paige Patterson was credibly accused. Guideposts would have likely found him credibly accused in a court of law. It was found to be a gross distortion. Uh, the third party investigation standard is dangerous. Okay, so then Tom Buck responds to what Bar Barber accused him of and says, for the record, according to uh, the S what the SBC adopted, what Paige uh, Patterson was being accused of fit the proposed standard. Don't believe Bart. And so he posts, this is from the, uh, I guess the resolution the SBC adopted on, on this. Uh, no, this doesn't look like a resolution. This is a policy. Let's see, according to what the SBC adopted. All right. So this is, this must be from the annual meeting. This is uh, a policy they adopted. Okay. Uh, oh, oh, this is okay. I've read this. Yeah. The sexual abuse um, uh, recommendations. Uh, this is the recommendations, I guess, that were adopted by the convention. Okay. Sample criteria could include the following. So this is for credible uh, accusations. Churches are encouraged to voluntarily report the full spectrum of information available. Persons legally convicted, personally confessed, or those having been credibly accused or having substantiated allegations of acts, including sexual abuse, 
or those established to have aided and abetted in the cover-ups of such conduct, including allowing an offender to quietly resign or move to another church or institution will be included in the IOS. Uh, offenders that are deceased will be included in the IOS in perpetuity. All right, so it's talking about this intake system to uh, police, to monitor sexual abuse, um, people who, who have been accused of sexual abuse. So again, credit, the, the whole thing is, the debate is, what, what is a credible accusation here? Bart Barber uh, then goes back and forth with him here, says uh, this link, which is the, uh, well, let's see what it is. I'm clicking on it. Annual, oh, it's the 2022 Southern Baptist Convention uh, entire, I guess it's the entire document. All, everything that they, all their, their business, etc. Okay. Uh, this link points to the SBC annual for 2023. The annual is the official repository of all of SBC adopted. The sexual abuse task force recommendations were different from the guidepost report. The SBC did not adopt the recommendations of the guidepost report. The screenshots that you have posted in the guidepost report, the SBC did not in fact adopt. So, but Buck says, I stand corrected. So you would agree that Patterson was falsely accused and if we had followed the guidepost recommendations that Patterson would have been labeled credibly accused. And then there's no, uh, there's no follow-up here. So, so I, I guess what's happening here, since I'm kind of coming at this with, uh, in the dark a little bit, just, uh, popping into a Twitter thread, what it looks to me like what's happening here is Bart Barber just got kind of trapped by Tom Buck because Tom Buck is basically saying, you know, look, According to the standards we're adopting in the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, someone like Paige Patterson would have been, he would have been toast. And, and uh, obviously this is not wise because look what just happened. This was thrown out of court, but we're adopting the kind of standards that would be thrown out of court. That's what he's trying to say. And Bart Barber is saying, no, 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 We didn't adopt those standards. We, we didn't do that. Guidepost recommended some of this, but that, that doesn't mean we adopted them. And so Tom Buck then is, this is where the trap, the, the maneuver comes in at the end here. Uh, he asked the question, so would you agree that Patterson was falsely accused? So now he's going to put Bart Barber in the position. If Bart Barber responds, he's going to have to necessarily defend Paige Patterson, which is something he will not do. That's, I think, what's going on here, if I'm reading this correctly. Okay. Uh, again, credible accusations is the whole thing. What, what's a credible accusation? Let's land the plane on that. What's a credible accusation? What should be the just standard? Is a credible accusation one in which, uh, I don't know, you have uh, the preponderance of evidence you, or the 51% uh, of a majority vote says this person did it, therefore we're going to treat them as if they did it. Is that a credible accusation? What's a credible accusation? Or is it beyond a reasonable doubt? Is it have to be, you know, 90%? Uh, you have an assurance of 90% that this person did it. Uh, everything lines up. There's corroboration. Um, I have the feeling that what's happening a lot of the time is the terms like credible are just slapped on in their vacuous. There's just really nothing behind them. Uh, the faith is then put in those who are making the accusation or those who are evaluating the accusation that they must be people that they wouldn't accept one that's not credible. So therefore, it must be credible. It it, it pay, places complete trust in an oligarchy of people who are responsible, like the Sexual Abuse Task Force, for monitoring these kinds of things, if that becomes the standard. Um, and 
just because it's uh, not all the guidepost solution guidelines were adopted in the Southern Baptist Convention does not mean that this is over by any stretch of the imagination. This is going to be a, a huge issue this year at the convention, along, I'm sure, with women pastors and what happened at Saddleback and, um, and and all kinds of other things. But I'm sure this will be front and center, one of the big issues. And it's not going away. There's too much money. There's too many people being uh, rewarded in this. And, and you, you have to ask yourself, not just the question of what's credible accusation, what standard are we using to evaluate these things, but you have to ask yourself why the double standard? How come people like Bruce Ashford? How come people like Jennifer Buck? How come, um, how come people like J.D. Greer are exempt somehow, but people like Paige Patterson, like David Sills, uh, like Johnny Hunt are all hung out to dry? Uh, in the case of David Sills and Johnny Hunt, they were all the evidence seems to indicate that these were extramarital affairs or leading towards an extramarital affair, which isn't in the same category as criminal activity. It's not uh, um, uh, the only way that you could categorize it as abuse is because of the power disparity. But that's what the Me Too movement does. And and that's, I think, what's destroying uh, the denomination. So. Uh, well, final thoughts. If anyone has any questions or comments, anything they want to add, this is the time to do it. Uh, Christopher Cunningham says, best decision I made as a pastor was standing up last year in Anaheim and telling them friendship with the world is enmity with God and the church I pastor will no longer go along with them. Good for you, Christopher. Good for you. Um, what happened with Ashford? You're going to have to watch the beginning of this podcast or better yet, go to the podcast that I did uh, from, I think it's two weeks ago on Bruce Ashford, and you will uh, see exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, Claude Avalas uh, asks, selective sexual sins? I would say yes. They are selective in their sexual sins. There's no doubt about it. Uh, that's why they can hire a firm like Guidepost. Um, and my understanding actually is I think Johnny Hunt's firm is also pro-LGBT, if I'm not mistaken, that, that's representing him. Uh, but the guidepost uh, certainly pro LGBT, and it's like, why would you hire them? They're, th this is for the purpose of evaluating sexual abuse, and these are people that don't understand even the purpose for sex. So, uh, anyway, but there's probably better options out there, are there not? In fact, I, if if I'm not mistaken, wasn't the Southern Baptist Convention for the caring well stuff? They weren't using guideposts, weren't they? Wasn't there another firm or something they were using? If I if memory serves me. I'm pretty sure there was. Um, the uh, it'd be interesting to look into guidepost more and just see like what I haven't done a deep dive into guidepost. I just haven't really, I, did, I haven't been that interested. I'll be honest with you. Like to me, this stuff is pretty basic. It's it's not that complicated. But I I do wonder where the money flows. Um, Samantha Kilpatrick is the one who leads the guidepost solutions. Uh, they they hired her in 2022. And uh, to lead new faith-based organizations practice group, so she's the one that would be handling this stuff. And I don't know of all her connections, or um, but I, I'm assuming that she would probably have the final say as far as why certain people got into the guidepost report and why others did not. Maybe I'm wrong on that, um, but she would oversee that process nonetheless. I would think. So uh, if anyone else has information on that, then you can certainly send it my way. And it, it would be, I, I suppose, interesting to look into. But 
Uh, for me, this is all basic stuff. The Bible gives us a very clear standard, uh, which is corroboration, two or three witnesses. And it, it labels things. It categorizes things for us. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't dovetail with the world's categorizations. In fact, they contradict each other. When the Bible talks about adultery, it's not talking about an abusive. It's not saying, well, that can only happen in the case where there's not a power disparity. Otherwise, there there never would be adultery if you take this to its logical conclusion, right? Because there's always someone stronger, even if the female's stronger. There's always going to be someone physically, emotionally, whatever, stronger in a sexual relationship. Uh, it's so so if consent isn't even the standard anymore because it's not the me too movement is now remember for years it was consent 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 it's still they beat that drum still but effectively speaking it's not it's it's actually not because if you're someone who's in a powerful position as a professor or a pastor or something you are uh even if there is consent with with the with the woman involved you as as a man are going to be the one completely 100% responsible for that particular uh, encounter. Uh, the, all of the weight of, of that sin is, is upon you, and not a, and none of it is upon uh, the other person who consented to have that kind of a relationship with you. That's just not biblical. And so, so to me, I don't know, it's so clear. It's, uh, and, it, and it's overturning centuries of our Western common law tradition, our Anglo common law tradition where we want to make sure that we don't punish innocent people. It's innocent until proven guilty. Uh, last comment. Uh, it boggles my mind how many conservative pastors won't let go of the SBC. We either stand with the Bible or we don't. Very simple cut and dry from Mandy Ganey. I feel that way too, to be honest with you. I feel that way more often than not, that this isn't that. It's obvious what's happening in the SBC. And uh Make your decisions accordingly. Do you want to stand with them, or do you want to uh, do you want to go out and you know give your money, your resources, and time to something else? Because even if you're one of those churches that just gives whatever it is, the thirteen dollars a year minimum, and that's all you do, and you say, well, that, they can't fund much with those thirteen bucks. Well, that's true, but how much time are you giving to attending the annual meeting? Into fighting these fights. That's a lot of time. It's a lot of money. If you like doing that kind of thing, I, I commend you. Um, I think we had a window. I think a few years ago, it, it was definitely all hands on deck. Let's do this. But unfortunately, this, this downgrade happened in stages. People woke up in stages. I would say the SBC is still relatively leaderless. And I'm saying on the conservative side, there just aren't leaders who are, uh, there's not enough of them at least, who are able to do what Adrian Rogers and Paige Patterson were able to do during the conservative resurgence. They're more likely, they're very, I'll, I'll say this, I'll describe some of the cons conservative leaders in the SBC this way. They are concerned about fraternity. They are, they don't want to be called names like racist or sexist or bigoted or any of that. And they are, are, this is probably the most defining characteristic that I've noticed. They are so reluctant to call false teaching false teaching or heresy heresy, or they, they just, 
they won't do it. I don't know why. I don't know. That's not like everyone, but it's most of the people I'd say with any prominent positions on the conservative side. They don't play hardball. You got people accusing you of some of the most heinous things. You're covering for sex abusers. You're racist. You hate minorities. Uh, you know, whatever the accusation is, it's always level 10 red alert. This person's a threat to your children, hides your kids, hides your wife. And the conservative response is generally, well, I just don't agree with that. I don't know if we can really, uh, uh, if, if we can partner together, if you're going to act that way against it's super nice. It's, it's, it's maybe appealing to a gentlemanly code of conduct that used to one time uh, exist. And, and I'm all for that, except for the fact that we have come to a point in the development of our civilization where we've outgrown, not, not outgrown in a positive way, but we've, um, that code of conduct of, of being a gentleman was for a time that suited gentlemen. It was for a time when there was enough social restraint that it, it was, um, there was, there was an honor code that was embedded into the culture itself. It's just not there anymore. It's not there. And to keep appealing to that code, uh, as if we still live in you know 1965 or something is I think a losing strategy. Uh, we need to, this is my model. Okay. This is what I look to. And this is just some, some advice for the SBC people or, or anyone really. Um, this is advice for myself because I don't always follow this, but I'm, I'm trying to get better at this. The way to handle people like this is to try to learn the rhetoric of Jesus. Jesus in dealing with the Pharisees. And if you don't think they're Pharisees, you won't know how to, how to do this. But, but if, you, if you buy my argument that I've made before in other videos that we're dealing with Pharisees, deal with them the way Jesus did, right? You don't have to answer all their questions. You have to be aggressive, though. You have to take the battle to them. You have to uh, accuse them of the things they actually are doing, including hypocrisy. Uh, but you you take the battle to them. You're not on the defense. You're on the offense. That's how Jesus was during his ministry. Uh, oftentimes, he'd ask them questions that would trap them or questions uh, that if they answered them, you know, that it would expose them somehow. Uh, he would warn against them. He would call them names. He would describe them and, and how terrible they were so that people would be warned. The sheep would know that these aren't people worthy of actually following. That's how you got to deal with it. They're not gentlemen who just have a little disagreement. This isn't, you know, your John F. Kennedy Democrat who, well, we disagree on spending and we disagree on a few social things. But, you know, in general, we're, we're both proud Americans and we can that Democrat party's gone. And I'm saying there's a, I'm drawing a parallel in politics here that today it's the same thing in the political world because I see Republicans sometimes try to do this. Uh, the same thing. They're not your esteemed colleagues. <laughs> they hate your guts. And if they didn't have the restraint of the law, they would be taking you out in violent ways. That's how you got to view it. It's not a, really a mystery. Um, you just have to believe what they say. Uh, and, and, and I'm not saying there isn't a Democrat out there or someone even on the other side of the SBC who's, uh, you know, maybe has somewhat of an honor code still embedded somewhere. And it's, that's possible, you know, but it's becoming more and more rare. And in general, that side is not characterized by that at all. It's like definitional to the, the social justice side to rip down those mores uh, to not care about that kind of thing well uh, we're going to have to go that's the end of the podcast uh, more coming later in the week God bless hope that was helpful for all of you bye
You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.